Well, that's timely in ways that hopefully will become uh, clear as we go through our text here. Our sermon passage, as I announced earlier, is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 24. Title of this message, Prayer That Wages War. Prayer That Wages War. If you'll uh, stand, if you're able, in honor of the reading of God's word, as we just give reverence to his authority uh, spoken through the scriptures and attentiveness to his voice in it. Beginning in verse 18, hear the word of the Lord. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you truly for your word. We're grateful always for it, Lord, and the truth and power that it contains and with which it speaks to us. And so we open now with the expectation you have something to say to us, not just generally, uh, not just at any time, but to us, those gathered here today and at this time, you have something to say to us. And so we open our ears and our hearts to receive And we ask that you would speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit, through your servant, to your people, for your glory and our good always. God, would you move me out of the way and use my voice as your instrument today? For Christ's sake, amen. And you may be seated. Well, I mentioned uh, already that But for those who are just visiting with us today, we've been going through a series in the book of Ephesians, and we are finishing today. And in fact, uh, some months ago when I started, sometime back in the summer when I started revisiting my schedule and looking how this would, uh, how how my sermon planning would outline through the end of the year, um, I knew that Advent started next week, and I really didn't want Ephesians to be unfinished going into Advent and into the beginning of the year, so I scheduled uh, to finish it here. And as it's gone through, especially these last few weeks, I sort of wish I had given myself more time because there's so much in this passage in particular in verses 10 through 20. But I'm going to finish it up today, um, and most of my attention will be given here to verses 18 through 20, which is really attached to this Uh, section we've been in for the last couple of weeks. But it's been uh, been an enriching study. I hope you have found that to be true, and the book of Ephesians has proved once again just to be loaded, 
just loaded with, with power. And every, every little bit of it that you unpack, you find a return to you more than you would have imagined. But we're continuing here, wrapping up this um, passage about spiritual warfare. And, you know, Paul has reminded his readers, the Ephesians first, but uh, all of us Christians down through the century who have had the benefit of reading as well. He's reminded us that the Christian life is a battle. The all of life, whether Christian or not, is a struggle for sure. Everybody knows that. In fact, most people don't really need to be reminded of it. But he reminds us that it's a battle in the sense that we live in a, a world, a universe that contains not only physical but spiritual realities. And it's occupied by not only physical beings but spiritual beings, personalities, powers, and so we saw that our enemy is spiritual in nature, invisible, organized, structured. There are hierarchies in the spiritual realm, just like there are in the physical realm. Unpredictable, a scheming enemy. There are some go-to plays that he uses over and over and over again, but always comes up with new ways to go at it. And so He's prone to attack at any time, this passage told us, and so we've got to be on on guard, ready all the time. And so last week, we saw that we we need to, to, to be strong, suit up, stand firm, and now we're told, having done that, to engage the enemy by praying that prayer is the fundamental activity of spiritual warfare and this may be this may 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 not be news to many of you in fact i'm quite sure it's not because i know many of you have studied this passage before and at least you've encountered that truth but this is an easy one for us to forget It is easy for us to pray as if prayer is something else besides the fundamental uh, means of engaging the enemy in spiritual warfare. The the fundamental activity of spiritual warfare is prayer. And so I want to look at this this morning through those lenses in a message again that I entitled Prayer That Wages War. Prayer That Wages War. And if we will sort of open our minds, our ears, our hearts to receive it that way, it, it will change the way. It has the potential, at least, to change the way that we pray. So I want to look at five attributes that he reveals here in this passage, five attributes of prayer that wages war. Number one, that that prayer is constant. Constant. It says in verse 18 that we're to be praying at all times in the spirit he uses this phrase in the spirit multiple times even here in ephesians not just about prayer but just about our life in any number of ways that we we walk in the spirit that we live by the spirit and so on but but prayer in the spirits inspired by the spirit motivated by the spirit empowered by the spirit we see uh reference even in first corinthians 14 it may be Uh, In some cases, employing the gifts of the Spirit, praying in spiritual language, not only with the understanding, he says there, but also with the Spirit. 
But again, it really just taps into this reality that we live in a spiritual realm. That in a sense, spiritual realities are more real than the physical realities that look so real. Spiritual realities are going to last forever. <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, they will uh, sort of be brought down to make all the physical realm new again. I don't know precisely what it's going to be like, but it's going to be good. It's going to be better than this one. Amen? Even as we have all kinds of things to be thankful for, and we want to be reminded of those, um, the, the new earth is going to be good beyond our imagination, but because there is a spiritual realm that will be brought uh, down to earth, as it were, to renew all things. But I don't want to get off track terribly. That's a different message, but that has some bearing on what it even means to pray in the Spirit at all times. That is just really where we um, ought to live and think of ourselves as being residents but the, the order of the day here, or the, the point I wanted to draw here, is just the constancy of that, right? That we're to pray at all times. And for most of us, that is a very difficult concept to get our heads around. The idea of praying constantly. Partly because we struggle just to pray regularly. Right? Or... Sometimes we struggle to just pray occasionally. Haven't you found prayer is surprisingly hard? It's not so hard once you've started praying. It's not that the praying is hard. It is just beginning to pray is hard. Have you noticed that? How you can talk yourself in when it's time for you to pray. You can talk yourself into doing other things besides praying. You can find when it, you're getting ready to go pray that there are any kind, number of other things that come up that will distract you or interrupt you. And there's something insightful about that very truth because the enemy knows that prayer is the fundamental activity of spiritual warfare and doesn't want us there waging war on our knees. So we have a hard time just praying occasionally or even regularly. We have a real hard time even getting our minds around the idea of praying constantly. But that's what he says, at all times. And he doesn't only say it here. It's very similar to that instruction he wrote to the Thessalonians. You remember, pray without ceasing. And so the challenge there is to remain in dialogue with God all throughout the day. All throughout the day. That really is what, what ought to be our aspiration to do. To be in prayer at all times. Now you know, of course, that life demands that you do other things besides just pray all day, right? Even monks don't pray all day. They, they, <laughs> I mean, there are other things they have to do as well. But you're not a monk and neither am I. But we're to be in dialogue with God uh, all throughout the day. And one of, the, one of the ways maybe to think about this is to imagine ourselves as being like that person who walks around with the Bluetooth headset on. You know the Bluetooth I'm talking about? The little uh, earpiece, and it's got a mouthpiece down there. And they're carrying on a phone conversation with someone everywhere they go. 
Now, by the way, that is not what I'm uh, suggesting that you imitate because that can be quite annoying and even rude at times, I think, uh, where, you know, you can't get somebody's attention because they're on the phone with somebody else. That's not necessarily a good um, social practice. But if we think about it in, in, in the sense that somebody else has their attention, they might interrupt that conversation to do whatever it is they have to do down here. You've seen this happen, right? Somebody's on the phone, they're walking their dog down the street, you say hello, you know, oh, I didn't realize you were in conversation with somebody else. And they may, they may stop long enough to say hello or to nod or whatever. They might go into the pharmacy and need to buy something and they go out to, go to the checkout line for somebody to ring them up and they'll say, hold, hold on just a minute. And they'll pay with their card or whatever. But the point is, they are in conversation with somebody else. Life interrupts that conversation, but then the conversation carries on. We would probably serve ourselves well to think of prayer as that kind of conversation. It's going on all the time with God. Life interrupts that conversation but the conversation goes on. As it is, many of us think that life here on earth is the conversation, and sometimes we struggle to interrupt it with prayer. If we flip it the other way around, we may get closer to praying at all times in the Spirit with a constant sort of prayer. But we should aim for that sort of habit, a constant dialogue with God. But one of the ways we can make that more attainable, I would say, because I know that just sounds preposterous. It's like, I, you know, you might as well just tell me to stand on one foot in the corner all day long or whatever. It's just I can't do that. But one of the ways we can make that more attainable is to use, utilize prayer that is varied. That's number two. This, the prayer that wages war is not only constant, but it's varied in its form. It's not just one kind of prayer. He says we ought to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer. Or some translations say with all kinds of prayer. That ought to be, I don't know if you've ever ran across that or if that's ever captured your attention, praying with all prayer. That sounds like an odd phrase, doesn't it? Praying with all prayer. Praying with all kinds of prayer. It's varied in nature. And so I'll just give you some uh, snippets and samples of ways that uh, you might do that or what, what that might sound like. But we know, for example, many of us um, have heard of and used the acrostic acts, A-C-T-S, as, a, as an outline for praying. Adoration. Confession, thanksgiving, supplication, A-C-T-S. And so you, you, that might help provide a structure to your prayer so that you're reminded my prayer ought to include prayers of adoration. Where I'm not asking God for something, I'm not even thanking him for something that he's done. I'm just declaring something about his greatness. Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. You're great and glorious and majestic. There is none like you, etc. Those are prayers of adoration, prayers of confession. We're reminded as often as we go to prayer, 
that we acknowledge our sinfulness and the uh, immeasurable, vastless, inexhaustible supply of forgiveness that he has toward those who love him because of the sacrifice of Jesus for us. I confess my sins, and I know that I'm forgiven of my sins because of what he has done through Jesus, but that, that ought to be a regular part of my prayer. So adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, making requests known to him. Even that itself provides some variety, but we could go beyond that in saying that our prayer, our prayer life can be made up of not only spontaneous or, or, or extemporaneous prayers of, of the sort that we're accustomed to praying, just whatever's on our heart and mind we pray for, but also that our prayer life might include some memorized prayers. This is a little different for, a little pro, for Protestant uh, evangelicals. We've, we've discarded a lot of those because we think those are just mindless, repetitive kind of prayers. But I would say to you, that praying memorized prayers more constantly is better than not praying your spontaneous prayers at all. You understand what I'm saying? And so th those, those are easier to remember at, at just little, short little times throughout the day. But thing, that might include things like, uh, I, again, it might include any number of things. There might be a prayer that you make up and that you memorize. It's a short one. It might be just praying scriptures that you know speak directly to the kind of thing you're praying about. And you just remind yourself from time to time of that scripture and you pray it back to God. But it may be um, some of those prayers that have been passed down throughout church history, like, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, which is a little longer, but that would be one. You, you've, you've memorized it. You know it. Um, you could just pause and interrupt whatever's going on in your life at any, at any point and pray the Lord's Prayer. There's one called the Jesus Prayer, more uh, familiar to those in the Orthodox tradition, but Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. There are monks in the Orthodox uh, Church tradition that uh, they say will pray that prayer. They pray. They, they they pray it as they breathe, as they inhale and as they exhale. Lord, have, uh, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. They, they, they learn to pray that with their breath so that they literally pray constantly that prayer. I'm not commending that to you specifically necessarily, but I'm just saying that is, that is one a tradition that some have adopted in order to pray without ceasing. And then some of you know the Gloria Patri, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, um, is now and ever shall be, world without end, amen. That's just, again, I'm saying one of those traditional prayers, but any of those that you know and can remember on the spot and that are short are better than your not prayers. And so uh, if we include that among the variety of prayer as, we, as we're praying constantly, we'll be helped if we pray a greater variety of prayers. Because we can at any time stop and say, Lord, have mercy. 
Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. That's one that I feel like, that's a pretty well-placed prayer in my life. Some, you know, just about at any time, Lord, have mercy on me. Right? Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. But anytime your mind and heart is lifted up to God, you're better off for it. And so spontaneous and memorized prayers, short prayers and long prayers, silent prayers and prayers prayed out loud, all of those things, that, that variety of prayers helps us in praying at all times. And praying the kind of prayer that wages war. Number three, Prayer that wages war is watchful. He says, keep alert with all perseverance. There's a lot he says here about prayer in one verse, if you haven't noticed that. This would be a good, like, pen or place marker in your Bible. If you need to go back and reset your prayer life at some point, you can go back to this really one verse in verse 18. And get a lot from that. But it's keep alert with all perseverance. This word basically means to stay awake. To be on watch. But it, it, it literally means don't, don't sleep. To be without sleep. Staying awake. Staying alert. Being watchful with all perseverance. The person who keeps watch on a ship in the Navy or in an infantry unit in the army or a Marine Corps or whatever, or, you know, on a watchtower. We think about those, even stories in the, in the scriptures or the language that's used in the scriptures of uh, the person who's keeping watch over a city. That person's job is to stay awake and watch. If you've ever done that, you know you, you have a different appreciation when it says keep, uh, be watchful with all perseverance. Because when you want to be sleeping, and your body wants to be sleeping, and your brain wants to be sleeping, but your assignment is not to sleep, but to watch, you have to persevere through the watch. Staring into the dark, that, that infantryman out in the woods staring into the dark starts seeing things. The shadows start to look like, the shadows of the trees, you know, start to look like people. Persevere, staying watchful in prayer. Don't go to sleep. Jesus told even his disciples that, right? Uses a different Greek word there, but watch and pray there in the garden on that last night before his crucifixion. Any enemy in combat ought to know that his adversary is keeping watch. And uh, conversely, we ought never to let our enemy know that we're not keeping watch. We ought never to let the enemy know that we have fallen asleep in our prayer life. And I'll tell you what, I'm afraid our enemy knows quite well that the American church, in particular, has spent a lot of time asleep in recent years. The 
but we ought to have an enemy that knows we have somebody on watch, alert, with persevering prayer all the time. It reminds me of a quote I heard from uh, General James Mattis, Mad Dog Mattis. Uh, some of you know that nickname that he was given. But even in his retirement, as he continued in public service, he was doing an interview, a news interview one time um, about different affairs going on around the world. And he, and, and he was asked, what keeps you up at night? And he says, nothing. I keep other people awake at night. <laughs> That's how we ought to be as the people of God in our prayer closets, on our knees, writing in the car, wherever it is in, in, in constant and varied prayer that we are so watchful that the enemy knows the church is on duty all the time and engaged in battle with them, never letting our guard down. Number four, prayer that wages war is comprehensive in nature. I couldn't think of a better word to say necessarily, but he says that our prayer ought to be for all the saints, for all the saints. Often by default, when we haven't thought very carefully at all about our prayers, our prayers are going to be for us. As, as in like me. My prayers are going to be for me and maybe for all my f household. Maybe, maybe regularly, sometimes, whatever periodic uh, nature you, you, you could characterize your prayers, maybe it would be for all my, our church but he says our prayer ought to be for all the saints, not just for yourself and your family, not just for your church or your pastor, although I appreciate your prayers for your pastor, and I tell people all the time, your prayers are never wasted on me. I promise you, whatever you're praying, you can think it's just a throw it up, throw it away prayer. No, I promise it is not wasted on me if you're praying for me. The whole world is better off if you're praying for me. But don't limit your prayers to your church or your pastor. Pray for all the saints. He is at work. God is at work all around the globe. It's one of the reasons I said our prayer this morning was particularly timely. Because we are aware of the fact that God is at work even in the midst of the worst calamities going on around the globe. Even as the 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 church in the West is struggle, struggling and shrinking and atrophying. The church in Africa, in South America, in Southeast Asia, even in the Middle East, is flourishing. God's not defeated. And so we ought to be praying for all the saints, comprehensively, for the work of God everywhere on earth for Christians everywhere. In Colossians 4:12, I found this just to be an interesting and challenging reference here. Again, it's at the tail end of the book of Colossians in his final greetings there, but he's mentioned into the church of Colossae a number of people uh, who we don't know much about otherwise, and one of them in verse 12 of Colossians 4 is Epaphras. And look at what it says about Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you, again, presumably from Colossae, 
a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. What a wonderful encouragement it would be to any church or to any individual to know there is somebody, even one person, struggling for you in prayer. And that's the sort of, that's the sort of prayer we are called to as the church, to enter the struggle, struggling with those who are right now Christians, chaplains, serving soldiers in the midst of a war zone, right? And that's just one of many around the world. But that we would struggle with them in prayer, struggle on their behalf in prayer. I'm praying that God would not just protect them, not even primarily protect them, but grow them to maturity and a full assurance in the will of God. Our prayers ought to be comprehensive. And number five, gospel-focused. His, Paul's prayer request here, if you look there in uh, verse 19, I think it is, also for me, that words may be given to me to open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. He doesn't ask to be released from prison. He doesn't ask that his name be cleared. He's been like he's been wrongly accused or misunderstood and, and pray for me that justice would come my way. He doesn't even suggest that injustice has been done to him. He prays that there will be opportunity to preach the gospel, that uh, he'd have the words to say when that opportunity arises, and that he would proclaim it boldly. And that, that again, brings the, the gospel right back to the center of the life of the church and the ministry of the church. It is about the gospel. When Jesus came and his ministry began, he, he began by preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. That was what he was about. That manifests itself in all kinds of ways and healings and miracles and, and his compassion ministry, but it was about the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of what God has done through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who conquered sin and uh, overcame the power of sin and death. Because we know, everybody here knows, and everybody you know, everybody you spent Thanksgiving with knows, the world is a messed up place. Everybody knows that. Christian or non-Christian, religious or irreligious, everybody knows that, that there is injustice in the world, there is oppression, there are people who cheat and steal and lie, there's immorality abounding, there's poverty that is just depressing. 
And we could go on, right? You could, you could just continue making the list. The world is a messed up place. Because of human sin, and we are all individually participants in making it a bad place. And the gospel says that God, in the person of Jesus Christ, entered our messed up world, humbled himself all the way to the point of death, and overcame death, so that he's now highly exalted, that he's given a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he is seated above every principality and power and might and dominion. His enemies have been made his footstool. He is king and he is Lord. That's the good news of the gospel. And that's what the church is charged with doing, is preaching the gospel. Now that is not a digression here in the message. It is to say that's really what Paul is praying for. Is that even while he's in prison, that opportunity would be open to me to proclaim the gospel boldly, that I would have the words to say and the courage to say them boldly, wherever that may come, to whomever, at whatever time. Because gospel proclamation is the boots on the ground element of spiritual warfare. Well, I said prayer is the fundamental activity of spiritual warfare, but the gospel proclamation is the boots on the ground. And I don't know if you know that expression, but it means when it comes to waging war, taking charge of any country territory, principality, or whatever, you have to have people that go in there physically and take charge of it. If you remember the first Gulf War, which many of us do remember, Desert Storm, we remember it well because it was the first war televised in the way that it was, where we saw a live broadcast of anti-aircraft uh, um, arms going up, missiles and all that just flying through the sky on CNN. We had uh, press conferences with video uh, recordings of missiles, you know, hitting their targets and all that kind of stuff. We saw a lot firsthand, or firsthand accounts of that war. And one of the things you remember about that is that the, uh, the, the air force and the, the air war itself, the air campaign, was just devastating to the enemy. I mean, just overwhelmed them. Uh, we had Navy, the Navy out in the Persian Gulf shooting Tomahawk missiles just on their way to Baghdad. I mean, ready to greet some poor, unsuspecting individual on the other end. I mean, it was going to a destination, and, 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 and we saw all of that, and artillery, and so on and so forth. There were all these just overwhelming elements. But then there had to be infantrymen <laughs> on the ground boots on the ground that were going to go and take Baghdad. Now that's true in any conflict, and my point is just to try to bring that analogy to bear here to say that our prayer, prayer that wages war, is all of that, is all of that combat that penetrates the defense of the enemy, that makes room for the gospel proclamation that's going to come 
behind. Prayer lays down the uh, support, supporting fire all along while the gospel is being proclaimed. The artillery fire, the air support, the, all those kinds of things. But it is so that the gospel may be proclaimed in all of those dark places. And so our prayer ought to become gospel-focused in addition to being constant and varied and watchful and comprehensive. I would say there, uh, in this, there probably ought to be a fresh challenge to us. It ought to poke us and provoke us to ask not only what is my prayer like in prayer life like individually, but what is our prayer life like as a congregation? And to what extent have we been asleep rather than awake? Uh, to what extent have we forgotten almost altogether that prayer is an act of spiritual warfare? that it ought to be constant, that it ought to be aggressive, that it ought to be vigilant, that it ought to be the kind of prayer that makes the enemy make note of Myrtle Grove Presbyterian Church. They ought to know they're never sleeping and somebody's always praying and praying like they mean it. They're fighting back and fighting for all of those missionaries that we send and support. It probably ought to raise some questions for us about that and, and in response to that, what our strategy ought to be. What is our prayer strategy as a congregation? And what is our gospel proclamation strategy? We start a new church calendar year next week, the first week in Advent. We know that in our Culture and custom, we start a new year January 1st. Either way you want to look at it, it is a good time to ask fresh questions about how it is we're, we, we want to be serious about engaging in prayer and in gospel ministry as if we have a real enemy who's spiritual and invisible and organized and unpredictable, but also as if we belong to the winning team. That we operate in the authority and the power of Christ who is Lord and that we have the weapons to prove it. And we ought to enter the new year with questions about uh, how we're going to strategize to use them effectively. I had intended to offer uh, some remark on the final uh, greetings there of Paul to the, the church at Ephesus and uh, his special mention of Tychicus. We'll save him for another time at another day. But let's close in prayer. Well, God, we do just confess our... apathy about prayer sometimes, our half-heartedness, our self-centeredness,
uh, Lord, maybe other things that would just contribute to an overall weakness in the way we pray. Lord, I do not want those to be words of condemnation for anyone or even of discouragement, but words of challenge for us for sure. Because we believe that what we've been reading over the last few weeks is true about the world that we live in, about the spiritual realities, and about our place in those realities as the people of God. So Lord, would you shake us up, wake us up, empower us to be strong, to suit up, to stand firm, and to pray, and pray, and pray with the expectation that the fervent and effective prayer of a righteous man and woman avails much. Lord, would you prove that in the life of our congregation as we strategize and get busy on our knees? Lord, apply that word and that challenge to each one of us right at our point of need that we might respond in our own individual prayer life with a greater constancy and variety, a watchfulness, a comprehensiveness, and a gospel focus in our prayers. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.